Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday. I'm your co-host, Adam Wybray. And I'm special guest, Ava Foxfort. And we're here to talk about the uh, second part of The Final Reckoning, which is the last book in the Deptford Mice series by Robin Jarvis. As you can tell, there have been a few episodes before this, so definitely go back and listen to them in order to get the full effect. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Uh, Enjoy! Good morning, my dear exhausted friends. Hi. Uh, <laughs> uh, Erglist of burgles to you. <laughs> um, it's... It is the time of the midwinter death, isn't it? Um, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling yeah. it. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. been a while. It's been a while. We've, we've all had a certain amount of life happening <laughs> uh, life sorry <laughs> listeners <laughs> sorry uh, um, but I mean I don't want to keep the listeners hanging a moment longer um, so I need to ask if we have any important scotch egg related news to share oh, oh god I can't oh no um, <laughs> the only important import, import, I read an article I did read an article about um like waitrose have brought in like vegan scotch eggs maybe and that there was some kind of oh no was that pork pies i think that was pork pies i think it was like melton pork pies and like waitrose are doing like vegan pork pies and then like apart from in melton or something because it's the home of the pork pie and there's some kind of outcry about not respecting uh the dead flesh traditions of melton yeah, no, I'm sure you couldn't. You, I, I sent someone. Someone went to Melton Mowbray recently and was like, "Oh no, you definitely can't have anything other than an immaculate, <laughs> immaculate <laughs> scotch pie. <laughs> it must be perfect there." Um, yeah, they came yeah. back, right? They, they did. They did. They didn't get back into a pie, as far as I know. <laughs> they, they didn't end up as the special stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not as far as I could tell. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think who it was and whether I've actually seen them since. Now no, no, you've got me thinking. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely, there was vegan scotch pie at the cafe that we were at yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, a scotch pie is not a scotch egg. No, or a pork pie. I've really dropped dropped the egg on this one. Dropped the egg on this one. <laughs> I, re- I remember, I, the only thing I can half remember is someone saying that there was a posh restaurant in London that was selling like venison wrapped scotch eggs for uh, like twenty pounds a pop. 
as your starter. I mean, I, I oh, gosh, I, I mean, I am impressed by your commitment to the form and the format, Ren. I, um, <laughs> I will note the last time you made quite the to-do about um, the Scotch egg-related talk, kind of distracting from the amount of plot you had to get through. Uh, <laughs> before we started recording, you noted how much plot you have written down, so it's going to be somewhat perverse and We're even masochistic to. that you have launched into the Scotch egg talk. <laughs> Scotch egg news. I do believe we haven't even mentioned the name of the book that we're <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, so... Um, it's a renegade intro approach here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Deptford Mice. Which one? The Final Reckoning, part two. Part two. Part two. Or the part second two. half of... There isn't, it isn't actually split into two parts. No. no. It is a single book. There's just a lot of plot in it, and a lot of misery, and a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in fact, if you're listening to this, um, no, there's no way we're going to get this done before the election results. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> oh, no. yeah, enjoy your misery. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, at least the aesthetics match up, eh? Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I, I can't. I can't think about it. Right. No, that's that's fair. Um, uh, so, uh, listeners may recall our intense mid-season finale um, of uh, Jupiter, uh, aka Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, Boris the Unbeast. The Unbeast. Um, Lording it up and being very smug. Using the star glass to uh, put out all hope in Britain or light from the stars. Is the, is the ghost army of rats the Lib Dems or is that, is that too far? They've <laughs> 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 been led by their leader to... Um, <laughs> To a, a horrendous trickery to find that they're actually just going to be turned into Tories. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I mean, spo- spoilers. Uh, yeah, either, it, it, either for post-election um, <laughs> negotiations or the book we're talking about. Um, I mean, I'm just impressed that you know Jarvis was able to anticipate this all in his allegory. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous if Labour win. <laughs> Good, I'll take it. I will definitely take the small, <laughs> the, the, the small embarrassment of the podcast. <laughs> I think it's worth it on balance. <laughs> so, so we we pick it back up with chapter eight, reenlisting. Um, we're surprised Piccadilly's not dead. Way. Um, that's that's good news. That's good news. That's good news. Piccadilly's not dead. He yeah, is, he, uh, even though like he seemed to die, so I guess he was just concussed or something, right? Yeah, yeah. He um he's been knocked out um and uh rolled beneath the railway tracks and just sort of lain there for a while. Like um, a roly poly pudding. Yeah. 
Yes. You shouldn't be eating roly poly puddings from underneath the railway tracks, Adam. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Um, um, but his uh, his immediate relief at not having been caught by the rats uh, quickly turns to dread as he thinks about Holborn and the great tide of rats that was rushing there. So he approaches the gate of Holborn and corners Barker, um, demanding to know what happened to the mice inside. Um, Barker wails and pleads and and sobs and says that he had nothing to do with it, uh, but tells Piccadilly that the mice stood no chance against old Stumpy's army. And uh, Piccadilly renews his oath that Morgan has to die. Um, and it's a, a grim sight when we get inside Holborn, uh, where Morgan is perched on the Thane's throne, gloating over the gory destruction his army has caused. Um, and it's really disturbing um, in, in terms of Jarvis really going there uh, <laughs> as it so he does. Jarvis does not hold back. So we, uh, we have this description. Uh, the rats told crude stories and cracked wicked jokes at their victims' expense. Three black-hearted vermin seized some skins and used them as grisly puppets acting out parts of the battle, relishing the killing and torment. A crowd gathered about them and raucous laughter shook the hall. Nearly everyone took up a mouse fur and placed them on their heads like ghastly hats. They peered through the blank eye holes and poked their tongues out of the mouth spaces. They were a debauched, disgusting sight. Includes its own commentary there, because... My word. <laughs> I, I mean, um, you know, yeah. realistically, it's not so bad. Like, you know, if... A if, bit of skin puppetry. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, say say a group of people were flayed and their skin was used to uh, create, you know, costumes and, and puppetry and a, a kind of performance was put on... Um, Kind of restaging the, the, this killing, um, yeah, with, with their very remains, uh, you know, still wet and, and twitching from the butchery. I don't, I don't think it's that big a deal. <laughs> Just ultimately, you know, I think okay, you know, fa- fair enough. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Remind me never to accept an invite to a party at yours. <laughs> um, uh, Morgan uh, bends down to drink from his bowl of uh, mice blood. Um, but instead of his own reflection, he sees Jupiter's eyes and hears Jupiter's voice saying that he has come to claim his lieutenant. Morgan tries to struggle against Jupiter's thrall, but he becomes bewitched again and uh, promises that he will bring his uh, his new rat army to worship at Jupiter's feet in Deptford. He gathers the rats around and tells them about this and that, and they're sceptical, but Morgan wins them over with tales of more plump mice to skin and eat. Um, all except Smith and Kelly, who are the, uh, the rats who are tormenting Barker in the first half of the book. Uh, who prepare themselves to take command if Morgan leads them astray. So the, so the rats all stomp out of Holborn, but Piccadilly's still outside, um, and he, he thinks he's about to go down in a 
a blaze of glory and maybe scratch one of Morgan's eyes out. But um, Barker uh, squashes him uh, behind him against the wall um, so that the parade of rats don't notice Piccadilly behind Barker, which probably wouldn't have worked if it had been anyone but Barker, but the rats are... uh, and not surprised to see Barker acting peculiarly. Mm. So somehow it works. Yeah, I found um, I found it really intense this scene. Like mm. it was like a sneaky bit in Thief or you know another stealth game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just really like this bit. <laughs> um, I found it really suspenseful. Yeah. Um, we also get the first clue that Barker's not who he makes himself out to be. Um, and that he has some sort of plan for Piccadilly. And um, it says, For a moment the rat straightened his back and was unrecognisable, tall and grim with a knowing gleam in his sharp eyes. Mm. And when we start to get these little hints... There's something going on with Barker. There's something going on with Barker. Um, Piccadilly still has hope that his friend Marty who he sent to, to warn um, to warn Holborn has um, escaped the carnage. So um, Piccadilly goes into Holborn. He forced himself across the threshold and saw the first victim. It was the sentry, or rather the bits that were left of him. The ancient spear had been seized and taken victoriously away, but the battered tin hat had been too small to fit a rat. All that remained was a crushed lump of bent metal in a dark, grisly pool. In a state of shock, Piccadilly wandered into the entrance hall. The rations were strewn wantonly around, and with overwhelming grief he discovered Agnes Trumper's discarded apron. Small fires crackled here and there, over which little black pots had been hung. Piccadilly had not, was not foolish enough to go and inspect the contents. The smell was enough. He staggered up, to the, passage, up the passage to the main hall. The rats had scrawled awful crude pictures daubed in blood on the ancient tiled walkways. The carved pillars had been defaced. All the marvel- marvellous wooden animals were now missing ears, legs or heads. And here and there some beast had coarsely whittled shapes of his own and stuck them on with lumps of fat. Piccadilly looked into the chapel of the Green Mouse. It was a wreck and they had tore down the children's paintings from the walls. It was worse than he could ever have imagined. Here was a love of destruction and baseness he had not thought thought possible. He stumbled on towards the hall. The tapestry curtain was torn to shreds. Piccadilly stepped over the rags and passed within. The large hall looked like a battlefield. The floor was strewn with well-sucked bones and a pile of skulls was heaped in one corner. Tatters and scraps of fur littered the place and the huge brewing pans which had been dragged from the kitchens were now capsized, licked clean of mouse broth and ear crisps. <laughs> I can't. I can't even make a joke out of that one. It's, <laughs> it's really, really grim. Um, I'm kind of tempted by ear crisps. I'll be honest with you. After <laughs> <laughs> it, I've I've never eaten a mouse. No, no. Like you no, know, obviously, I've been a vegetarian and mostly vegan for you know quite a long time. 
But even yeah. as a kid, I don't think I ever plucked a mouse from the garden and ate it <laughs> to memory. As far as I know. Let, let, alone, let alone fried up its crisps, its ears as crisps in some broth. Yeah. Yeah, you missed out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a lesson for us in this book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did Robin Jarvis ever release a book of mouse <laughs> recipes? How to cook a mouse? How to, <laughs> to be, how to to be fair, that does seem like something that Robin Jarvis would do. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Robin, uh, there you go. <laughs> there's, there's, there's the next book lined up. Piccadilly almost succumbs to complete despair at this site. Um, uh, and uh, the comforting maze of lunacy, as says, uh, but uh, Barker pulls him back from the brink. Piccadilly realises the rats are going to Deptford, and he speeds off after them, followed by Barker, who's chuckling sinisterly. Um, although we still don't know why. Um, Morgan marches his rat army into the freezing water to swim to Deptford, while he rides atop a raft. Piccadilly realises that they, they all need a boat as well and commandeers a pudding bowl with a <laughs> broken wooden spoon and a gull's feather as paddles and he and Barker paddle wobblingly off into the blizzard. Yeah, it's very picaresque. <laughs> <laughs> it's very um, uh, borrowers style. Mm, yeah, it is actually. And uh, the, yeah, the description of the, uh, the, the rat swim to Deptford is uh, particularly icingly evocative um yeah there's a there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of cold in this book <laughs> a lot of, of uh, a lot of very grim winter um and uh, you really get a sense of the frozen swim along mm. the river uh, morgan and the rats that, that haven't drowned in the icy river break land in uh, Deptford, which is frozen solid. Smith and Kelly, um, icicles in their fur, have had enough of Morgan. They confront him and Morgan cackles triumphantly as he tells them that he's led them to Jupiter. Smith is about to kill Morgan and take leadership, but Morgan tricks the rest of the army into believing that Smith and Kelly were going to betray the rest of them and take the best pickings for themselves. Um, the army unleashed their bloodlust on the two rats and they surge forward with Smith's head on a pole. They're not nice to each other, are they, even? <laughs> no, yeah. they're definitely not. Yeah, where, where's the rat camaraderie? <laughs> that solidarity, it's just not really there, is it? But I have yeah. to say, looking at um, my Deptford Mice Almanac here, um, mm. which I say is a, a brilliant companion piece uh, to the Deptford Mice. I thoroughly recommend it. Um, and it's got bits of kind of rat lore and uh, bat sayings and so forth. But it does say here, uh, infamous maggot rats include Morgan Fletch. Uh, and that, that's because um, the maggots is a sign of the rat zodiac. And there's a, a great illustration of uh, this constellation of writhing maggots in, uh. Uh, in the night sky. Um, and it, it says, um, Mab is the dark lady of midnight slaughter, yet also the bringer of pestilence, as this constellation reminds us. 
A rat born at this time will be corrupt and rotten right through with no redeeming virtue. He is a loner who shifts his allegiance to whoever is in power and must never be trusted. Yet this faithless quality is considered to be a worthwhile trait in this barbaric society, and many rats are proud to be ruled by this particular sign. Infamous maggot rats include Morgan and Fletch. Mm. Mm. Typical Geminis? <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to say that because I am one. Um, <laughs> are you a Gemini? Yeah, I'm a very, very typical Gemini. <laughs> I don't really believe in the horoscope, but deeply, deeply believe that I'm a very typical Gemini. <laughs> Which is about as Gemini as I can be. Um, anyway. Um, don't think I'm that maggoty, actually. No. I like to hope. You're not a maggot. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um... Um, so Piccadilly and Barker reached the same ice platform soon after the rats and Barker wheedles his way to carrying on with Piccadilly uh, while making more remarks that show he's more lucid than he appears when Piccadilly is out of ice shot out of earshot um, they reach Deptford power station and Piccadilly resolves to go inside Still on his uh, on his quest to finally kill Morgan, and Morgan meanwhile leads leads his uh, his drenched bone cold rat army into the power station, uh, which has become an immense cavern of crystals, and finally reveals his plan, calling triumphantly out to Jupiter that he has brought him his subjects. The rats realize they've been tricked and start to turn on him, but just as the first blows rain down on Morgan's head the giant ice-cold eyes of Jupiter emerge from the ceiling and all at once the icicles hanging from the ceiling break and drive themselves into the chest of each rat rather like a jet of frozen piss from an aeroplane and as they do the spell wears off on Morgan and he sees that he's led his triumphant army to their grim deaths um, in a act of cruelty from Jupiter and Piccadilly has been watching all of this from the window and scurries away in immense horror and it's at this point that we um, come back to Arthur and Thomas Triton who we last encountered being knocked out by the sheer power of (laughs) Jupiter Jupiter sucking all so, of the stars out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. knocked out by unthinkably awesome horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, and they eventually come round and make it back to Deptford and uh, tell the star wife and assembled mice what they saw when Jupiter stole the stars. Uh, back in Deptford, there's groups of mice praying to the green mouse, but Audrey knows that it's no use because as long as Jupiter is making it always winter and never Christmas, Aslan, I mean, the green mouse, will never wake up from his hibernation. Oh, the green mouse is much nicer than horrible Aslan. (laughs) You know, green mouse isn't all scratching at the backs of of young girls and and condemning other girls who like nylons to go to hell, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. I know. I think I, I would rather have the green mouse as a deity than than Aslan. Yeah. Um, the star wife tells them that once Jupiter's gathered his strength to use the star glass again, his next plan will be to steal the sun. Um, and at this point, Piccadilly turns up with Barker, who causes an immense commotion running around and scaring the mice who are terrified to see a rat. Um, it, it is quite enjoyable watching him revel in that, like when he's clearly not supposed to. <laughs> the general <laughs> amount of stress that is caused. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the light relief is uh, is Barker uh, menacing. <laughs> Barker's decisions that it's all a game. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, like once we find out that there is more to him than that, like yeah. actually becomes intensely creepy. But at, yeah. at this point where it's just like, oh, he's just a crazy old rat and it's just like oh people are running away hey let's play chase (laughs) yeah it was actually he's deep into method yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) very very deep in method um um Piccadilly catches the Deptford mice up on his story and they, they have a meeting uh Barker reveals that Morgan has Audrey's mouse brass the cat charm um, that killed Jupiter in, in their first battle, in the first book. and um, God, so long ago, them. so long ago. So, so, so long ago, can we even <laughs> cast our minds back that far? Um, uh, the mice catch a glimmer of hope that they could maybe pull the same trick off again. If they could get that, if they can get the mouse brass back from Morgan. Um, we haven't had uh, so far any um, catch-up on our... Um, the ongoing uh, thwarted romance between Audrey and Piccadilly, but uh, we 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 get an interlude of that as uh, as Gwen Brown catches Audrey making herself pretty for Piccadilly, and sadly reminds her that she is a married mouse, even though her marriage to William Scuttle was just a split decision in the moment to save Audrey's life. Um, it's uh, still a, a legally bounding mouse marriage. Yeah. Yeah, and like specifically a reason why it was useful was because it was in the eyes of the green mouse, and uh, yeah, the green mouse apparently quite strict about this stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, Thomas, uh, Thomas Triton, Arthur, Piccadilly, and Barker leave Deptford to go um, to go and get Audrey's mouse brass from Morgan. And um, Piccadilly and Audrey struggle to communicate their feelings towards one another. Um, Audrey almost tells Piccadilly everything, but then he has to leave and he goes off to battle, convinced that Audrey doesn't like him after all. Um. Yeah. Um. Is that the last... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, um, so they're off to the power station and um, they want to use Barker to draw Morgan out of his fortress um, as Barker is someone that Morgan knows and doesn't think is a threat. Uh, Barker kind of wails and flails and throws his voice, um, showing more of his... uh, Actually, 
quality. Yeah, it's just using the moment as a showcase. <laughs> Does a bit of juggling. <laughs> <laughs> and then passes over his resume. <laughs> um, um, and um, Morgan, uh, with the mouse brass, ventures out into the blizzard. Uh, anticipating another easy sacrifice to Jupiter. But uh, ambushed by Piccadilly and Morgan and Piccadilly fight and Morgan taunts the mice, saying that Jupiter's grown far too powerful to be defeated by the mouse brass this time. And then we get the return of the rats. <coughs> Before him was a host of hideous phantoms. All of Morgan's slaughtered rats had returned in spectral form. Their eye sockets were empty and they stared blankly out at the frozen world. The faces of the apparitions still held the tortured look of their hideous deaths and hollow wails echoed into the night from their gaping dead mouths. In their haunted claws, each held the spear that had killed him. And the icy spikes were stained black with their own blood. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, st- I still maintain that this book is the most kind of metal of the three books. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is there a metal concept album on the Deptford Mice? Um. There really should be, to be honest. Yeah. I think it yeah. really would justify that. <laughs> um yeah i i uh recently got into um singing um the rhyme of the ancient mariner by iron maiden on um on rock band Ooh. um because that's a, that's a thing you can do on rock band apparently is sing uh <laughs> 13 minutes of the rhyme of the ancient mariner by uh, iron maiden um <laughs> i've been at a party where someone's done a dramatic reading of the whole thing yeah yeah a lot of people got very bored <laughs> <laughs> um but um so i i've just i'm just saying that i have a newfound appreciation for um overwrought long metal set pieces and i i think um i think this should happen <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Thomas um, slashes at the phantom with his spear, uh, but as he hits the uh, the starfire that's burning in its chest, his weapon is transformed into the brittle ice, and uh, the blood in his hand freezes. Um, they try to run, but a ghostly spear slices at Thomas's leg. Um, and the wound is instantly poisoned with a festering frost. Um, they're overwhelmed by the undead army, but Barker, who's once again lucid, throws a can of oil. Thomas lights it on fire, and uh, the ragged line of flames holds up the phantoms just long enough for them to escape. Um, and in one final jab at the heart for Piccadilly, he looks back, and finally sees the flag that the undead rat army are bearing as their standard, which is the, the skin of the grey mouse with a jagged mark of dark fur like a thunderbolt. Which is his friend, Marty. Um. <sighs> See, you know, I think, I think my uh, 
you know, my best friend Peter, I, you know, I think he'd be all right with his his, his skin being made in, into some kind of horrible flag. Uh, I think if anything, he would be proud. Um, I mean, it gets you on the cover of a metal record, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're going to be a cover star with that. You? <laughs> if, you, if you get flayed by the right people. Um, it's more, more uh, interesting than just a book. Right, that you know, it's normal, normally what happens. You know, oh, well, your skin's oh, normally made into a book. Oh yeah, you know, like oh, yeah. I, my my skin's been used for the you know binding of the Necronomicon or whatever. Like you know, I think I'd rather be a flag. <laughs> Weirdly, we did actually have a book in uh, Brighton Library that was bound in human skin. Ah, what? what? <laughs> yeah. It was, one of, it was part of the Rare Books room. It was one of the old collections, and it was, um, yeah. Uh, didn't get didn't get it out that often. It was hard to get hard to get access to, and you weren't allowed to touch it. Did you ever lick um, it? This is probably the only book in Brighton Library that I never licked. <laughs> <laughs> no, Good answer. <laughs> but one day. <laughs> Buddy, they don't even let me lick the book. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, but uh, on, on seeing that, nothing will stop Piccadilly from revenge. He uh, sprints off into the flames, followed by Barker, who um, had been manipulating their situation all along. And Piccadilly has his final desperate showdown with Morgan. And just as he's uh, poised to kill him, Morgan gives himself up. Uh, he tells Piccadilly to just kill him, that it will be a quicker death for him than what Jupiter had in store, and that Piccadilly should give in to the anger and bloodlust within him. Because they're not so different, after all. Um, and at that, Piccadilly realises what separates him from the rat. He's not a killer, and he believes in the green mouse. Um, but as Piccadilly puts his knife down, Morgan grabs it and kills himself with the last words, this rat's no cat's paw anymore. <laughs> it's a strong line. <laughs> a I line. mean, yeah, that's, that's the title of one of the songs on this set. Don't for sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think it's fair. Really to... resisting trying to sing it in a Bruce Dickinson voice. I'm watching over trying to resist. <laughs> I'm not going to do it because I can't work out whether I should go for a big whale or the kind of like rat-a-tat delivery. It's quite hard for that. Piccadilly <laughs> <laughs> um, takes the, the mouse See, but this is where we need a patron account because that would definitely be a patron extra. <laughs> patron extra is us trying to sing lines from this in a, in a Bruce Dickinson Iron Maiden style. Yeah, yeah. That, that would get the money in. That'd get, that would be it. <laughs> um, oh, I just Please get in touch if you're interested in this uh, deluxe content. <laughs> I just noticed that we, uh, we have an illustration of, um, of Piccadilly... Um, it is a knee on on uh, Morgan's chest and knife in the air, about to drive it into his throat. Um, it's very very metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not wanting to labour the point, but 
yeah, that, that's a cover right there. Um, that, that's quite a good Piccadilly as well. He has this sort of tousled boy band hair. <laughs> it's, uh... It is quite weird, isn't it? <laughs> Just a little. Uh... <laughs> uh... Yeah, the ways in which these mice are made slightly more human is often really unsettling. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, uh, Piccadilly takes the mouse brass and enters the power station and Barker watches, whispering, everything depends on this now, get rid of him for us. Um, and... Uh, so Piccadilly enters Jupiter's frozen cathedral and uh, the great spectral cat face appears. Piccadilly holds up the brass and shouts, My name is Piccadilly, and by the power of the green mouse, I banish you forever. He uh, flings the charm, but Jupiter's ghostly frozen breath cracks it in midair, sending it plummeting to the floor in fragments. Piccadilly tries to run, but meets the undead army at the door. And that is finally the end of the brave grey mouse. <sighs> oh. Beloved Piccadilly. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really spirited, spirited mouse. Really spirited mouse. And no resolution on the um, Audrey Piccadilly love situation. No, of just, course not. Just, just immediately. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, it's like it's been going on for three books. Yeah, no, it was just set up to to give to give something to haunt Audrey uh, for yeah. the, for the rest of her days. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my. Um, yeah. So Arthur struggles with um, the injured Thomas Triton back to Deptford. Um, but uh, Thomas is delirious and the agonising frost in his leg is spreading. Arthur shouts for, shouts for help to the sleeping mice and uh, Gwen holds Triton by the fire helplessly. Um, the Starwife appears and proclaims that Triton has the winter sickness unleashed by the spears of Narmoth uh, that Jupiter excuse me, has brought back once more. Um, the Starwife says that they should just kill Thomas to put him out of his misery. Uh, but Audrey manages to read on her thoughts that the Starwife might be capable of healing him and confronts her. Um, the Starwife says that she will attempt to save Triton if Audrey will help her. And uh, this is more, more Starwife uh, trickery going on here. As the ritual's happening, the Starwife complains that she's too old and feeble to complete the spell, and right on cue, Audrey rushes forward to offer to hold the silver acorn, and then her power is transferred to Audrey. The ritual is complete, Triton wakes up free of the curse, and Audrey realises that she's been tricked again. Um, oh, that tricksy Starwife, what's she like? <laughs> Almost as bad as Barker. Um, the Starwife uh, prepares for her death um, and uh, builds her ritual in the in the frozen garden of the Deptford House. Um, and as she's preparing, she's visited by Barker, 
who isn't Barker, the balmy old mouse, but Balkan, the old god, returned in these end of days. Um, and the star wife isn't the star wife anymore, but returned to her name uh, when she was a squirrel. We find out there's a black squirrel, the very last of the black squirrels, and her name was Audrey. And so she dies. And it's very, very sad. This is like the second chapter ending in a horrible death in a row. Mm. Um, but actually, one of the things that I noticed as I was trying to flick through to try to remind myself what happened in the second half of this, um, every chapter apart from the last one ends with like the bleakest possible paragraphs imaginable. <laughs> like if you if you just want to feel bleak for a while, just skip through to the end of each paragraph of this book and just read the final paragraph. It's, uh, it is. It is hard work. Yeah, oh, you can, you can make yourself like Ava's bleak book. And Ava's just... bleak book. And it's just the final paragraphs of Jarvis, Jarvis <laughs> Robin Jarvis's books. Yeah. But yeah, so Piccadilly's death is, uh, the small body lay motionless on the ground, the face turned heavenwards. Piccadilly's little paw was closed tightly around his mouse brass, kept fastened to his belt. It was the sign of hope, but with his life, that too ended in that dark place. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad, it's, it's heavy, it's heavy. <laughs> And then let's go, let's jump to, jump to the four star wife. Final paragraph again. The snow fell monotonously and her chin dropped to her breast as she succumbed to the last of the cruel weather. The night grew old and a stark grey dawn appeared on the horizon. Through a break in the clouds, a slender ray of pale sunlight shone. For a second, it touched the squirrel's cheeks and all traces of age were smoothed away. But the gap closed and the beam faded. Even as the light left her face, the figure in the circle of stones gasped and expired. The midwinter death harvested her. <laughs> harvested. Almost sounds like things are going to be okay for a minute there. There's like a little ray of light and then it's like, no, you've been harvested by the midwinter death. <laughs> um, it's, it's bleak, it's bleak. End of every chapter. So bleak. Reminds me of there's a there's a lorry for the um, for the uh, supermarket Iceland. That, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> harvested by the midwinter death. <laughs> it says this. The, the, the Mum's got harvested by the midwinter death. <laughs> it has a picture of like frozen peas on it, and it says um, the slogan is <laughs> "Fresh as the day they were." Dot dot dot. Bold text. Harvested. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just no way to read that that isn't incredibly sinister. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, It's a tonal shift. Uh, The next day... um, Thomas Triton uh, fulfills his promise to the star wife that he, that he made in the first half of the book and uh, builds her a funeral pyre um, to speed her to the green. Um, but... Whoa, I've just realised the, like... Yeah. Does that pyromaniac... Is that because, like, pyre... 
It's like in, yeah. in Latin, what? Pyro, py- pyros is fire in uh, mm. no Greek. I never know which. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, don't say that we're not edutaining as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I say it's Latin or Greek. I only believe that because it's one of the uh, gods in Ultima Eight is uh, Pyrus, <laughs> Pyro, Pyrus Lethos Stratos, and the other what one. What is Ultimate Eight? Okay. Ultimate Eight, um, uh, gen- widely considered to be the worst of the uh, Ultima series of role-playing games. Hmm. Um, uh, it's the only one I played. <laughs> I had it when I was little. Um, it was it was a bizarre thing. It had a weird little bug that meant that you could, at one point, you could drop <coughs> objects from your package onto a, some lava and it wouldn't burn. And so you could jump on to those very specific bits where you'd like put a blanket down on the lava so that you could get to places you weren't supposed to get oh, to. Oh, kind of like, you know, playing the children's game with the floor is lava. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, just doing that with a with a tiny animated knight. Um. Um, as we're digressing, anyway, I'm going to suggest we do texture of the week. Okay. Texture of the week. Well, yeah, I mean, it works. My texture is from. The whoa, 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 whoa. Come on, we've got to do the we've got to do the jingle. <laughs> All right, sorry. That was good, yeah. yeah I've done something. Ava just improvised with a, a roll of kitchen roll. Beautiful. Yeah, I think I've ruined your kitchen roll. <laughs> um, Ava. <clears throat> oh, right, where was I? Yeah, so oh, you, you, you see, you've thrown me off. So in my uh, in my tradition of not doing, not really oh, picking what? textures that aren't really texture textures, <laughs> but like social textures or like, just like, there's something very textural to me about like the particular way they describe the star wife ambling about and building her building the ritual circle for herself that feels like very exactly the texture of uh, my mum pottering about um, and <laughs> trying to finish up some task quite grumpily hmm. the star wife ambled to the fence and furtively prodded the snow with her stick charts and dreams she tutted bending over and foraging in the bare stony soil how jealously we guarded them all those scrolls and tatters of parchment we believed to be so precious what use were they in the end she held up two good-sized rocks and tossed them in her, the root into her round clearing never trust a prophecy written on paper she murmured gruffly to herself as she poked about for the more stones some clever so-and-so's bound to have fiddled with it and copied the ruddy thing down wrongly adding twiddly bits to his own that are completely irrelevant the star wife picked up four more stones and rolled a further one along the ground with her tail. Oral traditions, she declared, dropping the rocks into the circle and tapping her nails with her forefinger. Things preserve best from, from mouth to ear. Should have known that. <laughs> so the pottering texture of just like... Pottering texture. <laughs> pottering, it's a texture. <laughs> it's a texture. It's a, mo- mo- a mobility texture, isn't it? <laughs> Ren's got quite a face on <laughs> me right now. 
what the fuck are you doing coming on my podcast and ruining my textures? <laughs> no, no, I'm all for, I'm all for um, expanding, expanding textures. So I just think everything's a texture. Yeah. And I, was... I kind of blame you for that. It's kind of, it's a sort of monomania, really. <laughs> um, now through, I view everything through the lens of texture. <laughs> It's my grand narrative, if you will. Hey, textures are my vocation. Some, some people are Marxists. Some, um, some people are psychoanalysts. You're a text texturist. Yeah, text- I'm a texturist. 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 Yeah. Follow my Sorry. Instagram account. Yeah, textures are my vocation for more textures. Yeah, those are actual textures. Those are actual they're textures. Not, not, not the nonsense theoretical <laughs> textures of these pretentious literary theorists. <laughs> Ah, a Lacanian texture. <laughs> 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 oh, I think I broke out of it. Physical pain. It's meant to be this break from academia. Right, right, Ren. Do you have a pr- do you have a texture texture? <laughs> a little delusion rouge on Oh god, te- Ren, do you have a texture? <laughs> I do. I have a, I have a, a texture for a. Uh, I have a sensible texture. It's about the winter. Okay. Um, Datford was tightly locked in the bleakest night it had ever known. The rooftops glistened with frosty ground glass, whilst icicles spiked and skewered down from the gutters, looking like the eyebrows of some stern ancient creature. There it is. The pavements were smooth, treacherous traps for the unwary, and the roads rivers of black ice. Yes, those are the icy eyebrows I was particularly keen on. Oh, yeah. Bristling and... I don't know. Um, Would would, would icy eyebrows, like, would you be able to sort of snap them off? Um, Yeah, but then they might grow back. Uh, It'd be easy to pluck. Yeah, true. To be fair, I've kind of cheated with my text, dear. After all that, I mean, so my text is from the Deptford Mice Almanac, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, from the entry for September the 22nd. Um, I'll quickly note, actually, uh, September the 23rd is the birthday of Thomas Triton. So, um, you know, if you're not doing anything this September the 23rd, uh, 2020, uh, raise, a, raise a tankard of uh, berry brew uh, to... Our good friend Thomas Triton. But um, the the entry of September the 22nd um, reads, Rats are especially superstitious, and most of them will always carry at least one lucky charm with them. Should a rat approach you in this season, take care. They believe that one of the most effective talismans is a mouse's little toe. Other fortune bringers, as they're called, include hedgehog teeth and toad skins, both of which must be removed while the creature is still croaking or squealing on a moonless night. And the illustration here of a toad skin is one of the most horribly textured drawings. <laughs> I think it's really quite deeply unpleasant. Um, like I don't know what kind of disease this poor toad had, but... Um, Jarvis has drawn it incredibly kind of it looks simultaneously completely dried out and parched but also kind of 
bulbous and mottled and then it's got this sort of horrible black speckling uh, which looks kind of like mould or mildew <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's sort of awful kind of floppy arms and legs it's really quite unpleasant <laughs> um, yeah it looks like something from a Junji Ito manga um, yeah it's it's an impressively horrible uh, toad skin so that's my texture I might have to take a picture of it um, mm. so so we can I might take a few pictures from this book um, mm. because uh, yeah they really are are brilliant some of these illustrations <laughs> um, okay so back to the old house in Deptford the uh, the undead army bang on the door and uh, the mice led by Triton flee into the sewer towards Greenwich um, they're well on the way when Audrey is suddenly compelled to turn back and go to the garden. Um, she reaches the Great Hall and there's no sign of the undead army beyond the destruction of their attack. Um, she makes it into the yard and she sees a single green shoot sprouting from the ash of the Starwife's pyre. She tucks a tiny plant into the waistband of her dress as a symbol that Jupiter has not already won. She's about to sneak back into the grill, but the ghost army are there, slashing their frozen claws at her. She escapes them and runs into the garden, but this is where she encounters our very first victim of Jupiter's ice spear, all the way back in the prologue, the ghost of the peddler, Kemp. He lunges at her with ice spears and starts to strangle her, but in doing so, um, she drops the silver bell from her tail um, that she had found broken on the kitchen floor. The sound of the bell is, is just enough to break through to Kemp for a moment, and he lets go, allowing Audrey to escape. Um, as, uh, right back in the prologue, he was going to bring the other bell back yeah. to Audrey. Um, Thomas and the rest of the mice are back at the Cutty Sark, and from there they see Jupiter moving at the power station, ready to use the star glass for the final time. The phantom army surround the Katusark, and it looks pretty dire for Thomas. Um, and at this point we come back to Oswald and the bats, um, and we catch up with what happened with the Book of Frethel um, all that time ago. Uh, it turns out that although the pages of the book were empty, um, Oswald realises that the energy of the spells is still held within the book. Um, and so he uh, makes himself a suit out of the pages of the book and asks, asks Orfeo and Eldritch to fly him into Jupiter's amorphous wintry heart, um, clad in the, uh, the magical pages of the book. Um, I mean, it is quite dark because it is like a kind of like mystical suicide bomb attach, like just <laughs> strapping magical paper all around him, like in a kind of yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a lot going on in the imagery there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and the the bats are uh, they're on their journey. They um, they spot the the tiny figure of Audrey and um, half dead from cold in the garden. Um, and a bat called Hathkin swoops down and scoops her up. Um, the bats arrive at the Cutty Sark just as it seems that the mice will be totally overwhelmed and join their forces against the undead army. Oswald starts scrunching up the pages of the book and throwing them at the apparitions, 
and instead of sailing through them, they hit, uh, being the one thing capable of destroying the ghosts. Orphea and Eldritch uh, scoop him up to take him to Jupiter at the observatory, and Audrey invokes the power of the Star Wife to insist they take her to. <coughs> and uh, at the observatory, Oswald plunges into the heart of Jupiter, surrounded by flaming scraps of enchanted paper. Um, but it's not strong enough. And it seems that Jupiter has won. Are you ready, Master Pink Eyes? <laughs> Orpheo cried. Oswald nodded resolutely. Yes, he replied with a ferocious shout. Then a curse on the abomination, screamed Eldritch as they veered down. Jupiter twisted his corpulent bulk around to see what the annoying tiny insects were up to. He held his breath in surprise and apprehension when he saw them come charging at him. The papers of the tatting suit began to glow as they raced towards the devilish monster and he growled suspiciously. The remains of the Book of Frethel burst into golden flames around Oswald. Their radiance cut through the dense fog. Uh, Jupiter wrapped around himself and scorched his wintry eyes. Down plummeted the bats and Oswald was transformed into a figure of divine majesty as the spells took him over. Die, carrion of the void, he commanded <laughs> forcefully. Like a flaming dart, the bats sped towards the great enemy, and a path of gleaming sparks trailed from them. Into Jupiter's heart they plunged. The huge spirit screeched as they speared into him. Golden lightning bristled from his chest, and he rocked precariously on the misshapen dome. I cannot die, he screamed. I am Jupiter, lord of death. The crackling yellow bolts wrapped around his body, tormenting him with their heat. At once the battle on the Cutisark ceased as the ghosts dropped their weapons and the starfire spluttered in their breasts. Thomas stared at the storm-beleaguered hill breathlessly. The fate of the world depended on the outcome of what was happening there. Suddenly the starfire welled up inside the spectres once more and all hope died in the midship house. Jupiter raked his claws through his spectral fur and the flames died. He drew himself up to his full height and laughed harshly. The Book of Hrethel had not been strong enough. From out of this vastness two brittle-winged shapes flew. Orpheo and Eldritch were covered in the scales of frost. Jerkily they careered through the air, gliding fitfully on frozen wings. But they were not carrying Oswald. The albino was lost, swallowed by the abyss of the eternal void. The unbeast might had proved too strong a force and a valiant mouse's sacrifice had been in vain. The attack had failed, had failed, and Oswald was no more. Jupiter watched the bats fleeing aimlessly and chuckled to himself, secure in sweet knowledge that nothing could hurt him now. A deadly silence fell. He turned back to the crimson sun and lifted his claw. The stargast blazed and the horrendous spell continued. The sky became livid as the sun turned a sickly purple. Jupiter had won. <laughs> so just one main character death after another. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. the end of the book, final chapter. Yeah. That's it, that's <laughs> yeah. it, it's all done. <laughs> Jupiter wins. Um, <laughs> and curtain falls. <laughs> but but sadly, um, Jarvis's editor insisted that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it, the thing is, it really does... It does manage to do that in the book because there's so few pages left at this point that, yeah. like, you're watching that final confrontation. Yeah. 
believing it's divine confrontation. Like it's really, it, it, uh-huh. it really does be like, oh, oh God. <laughs> it's surprisingly hopeless to have something go that should have worked fail that badly that that late in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're like you're kind of like oh yeah the, the, I mean the cat charm won't work again. Yeah, yeah. Like, they spent the, a lot of time on this MacGuffin, right? Yeah, like, it's gonna work, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, they can't use the MacGuffin from the first book. That would be ridiculous. But they've got the third. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. but, yeah, I mean, especially as I mean, Piccadilly and Oswald are both very likable characters. Yeah, mm. and I mean, at least. I don't know. I mean, maybe Oswald dies thinking that he's won, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I do get the impression that he he knew that he was going to go out Mm. doing it. Um, Yeah, I don't know how how he thought he could go in wrapped in explosive magic paper and, yeah. I don't know if his last image is of, you know, Jupiter gloating in ascendance or whether yeah I hope not (laughs) (laughs) poor Oswald have you you got your your list of because I remember last time uh, a list roll call of the dead I do okay oh is that how we're gonna we're gonna end it yeah yeah um um uh Audrey, we still have Audrey. Um, she and a few pages left. <laughs> and a few pages. <laughs> um, she approaches the orbit observatory um, carried by Hafkin, um, but Hafkin's wing is hit by an ice spear and he falls to the ground, breaking his neck. He dies. <laughs> and Audrey has to find a way up to the observatory. Um, back on the ship, the undead army break into the hold where most of the mice are hiding out. Thomas Titan Triton strikes and lunges with a piece of parchment attached to his sword, but eventually he uses it all up. Audrey's just starting to climb the jagged concrete of the power station when she turns to find the undead spectre of Piccadilly. <laughs> uh, he lunges at her and starts to strangle her, but she implores him to fight the enchantment and he remembers who she is. And they hear a voice that both of them recognise. It's Arthur Brown, Audrey's dad, Piccadilly's companion from the very, very beginning of the first book. He tells Piccadilly it's time for him to join him and tells Audrey that he's proud of her. (laughs) (sighs) Audrey faces Jupiter, says... I come to call down my destiny, and it is tall and dangerous. She reaches into her waistband and pulls out the tiny green sheet from the Starwife's pyre, a sheet that holds the power of spring and represents the green mouse, and it erupts in Jupiter's ghostly stomach in bright white light. And with that, Audrey, our final girl, dooms Jupiter to eternal life, eternally incinerated by the spring, but never consumed by it. And with mere, mere, mere page to go, um, well, mere page, a couple of pages to go, 
green spring and summer life spreads joyously out over London, and in the hold of the Cutty Sark appears the green mouse himself. He hands Oldswald's parents a mouse brass in honour of their son, who didn't live to receive his, and it's the sign of courage and bravery. Audrey tells her mother that her father wishes her and Thomas Triton happiness, and so they get married, by the green mouse himself. The mice go back to the old house in Deptford, but it's been too damaged to live in, so they take their belongings back to the Cutty Sark. Audrey finds the necklace with the little silver acorn and ties it around her neck. For now, she is truly the star wife, handmaiden of Orion. Mm. I just want to now that we've um, got through all of the the horror and deaths, like my my other secret texture of the week that might actually be a texture. <laughs> oh, you led us down um, one road. I led us down one road, and now we've got another one because I just want to say the <laughs> just the um, the the burst of spring mm. and summer and growth as um, as Jupiter Jupiter is cursed to this eternal life is just. Uh, it's just brilliant. Um, uh, where do I want to start? Um, the infernal spirit realised that this was the end. The mouse had conquered him. He was doomed to be incinerated by the spring till the end of time, but never to be consumed by it. He burst into a terrific blistering rush of flames and became a towering effigy of fire. And then he rocketed, howling into the air. Higher and higher he soared into the freezing reaches of space, screeching his suffering and fury. Like a green comet he shut up, chased by the forces of life through the universe until he was only a faint blur between the stars. Cosigned to the vacuum of the void, he suffered in the agony of spring throughout eternity. Audrey dropped with fatigue, her energy spent. A rosy light glimmered on the horizon as a fresh new day dawned. The golden rays of the reborn sun shone over the dissipating clouds and stretched over the land, ushering in a beautiful morning. The world was awakening fast. The snow dissolved rapidly and patches of snowdrop freckled grass appeared. The burgeoning greenery flooded over the park. The frost-locked trees thawed and glowing blossom burst out with vibrant colours. A glorious chorus of grateful birds took flight and soared into the pale blue sky. All the seasons met as summer roses popped open and gave their perfume to the breeze. Fruit swelled on blossom-burdened boughs and leaves of autumn gold shone in the sweet air. It was a heady sight and Audrey absorbed it breathlessly. The earth was sanking her and putting forth all its blissful delights in homage. She bowed her head and wept. It's just nice seeing Jarvis's, like, really gorgeously, like, thick, rich prose being put to the forces of good for once. <laughs> like, describing something nice rather than something, like, horrific or bleak or, or sad or, yeah, I don't know. He can um, use his forces for good. <laughs> he really leans into it and just goes all out with that description and I really like him for that <laughs> um, so that's the end hey. the end of uh, The Final Reckoning and the end of the Deptford Mice trilogy and quite a, Although, quite a journey it has yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th- I think next we're just going to have to do like 
baby's first spooky alphabet or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is uh, the the epic that has uh, been uh, been quite uh, quite an absorbing uh, challenge. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think hopefully uh, this coming year we can uh, we can do. I mean, I, I don't want to besmirch the bet for mice because it's a brilliant feat of writing and um, yeah. it really is quite astonishingly epic and emotional. Um, but yeah, maybe a few things with rather less plot uh, might be coming up next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> slightly slightly yeah. fewer notes for you to take, Ren. <laughs> yes. Um, um. So... Um, I did just want to um, present, give a, 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 um, a, a roll call of, of the characters that we've lost throughout this journey um, and it's extremely high death count um, starting with of course Albert Brown right at the beginning of the first book Wartle and Jenkin in Fennywold Madame Akikuyu of course at the end of um, the Crystal Prison Christ- at the end of the Crystal Prison uh, Kemp the trader it was, it was a bit of a rough around the edges but uh, definitely didn't deserve to be um, speared to death um, the star wife Audrey uh, Piccadilly <laughs> our dear brave grey mouse uh, the, the whole community of Holborn um, <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> Piccadilly's best friend Marty um, Algie Comfort died in the, the Battle of the Sark Hafkin the Bat and Oswald um they were good mice and <laughs> bats and squirrels. I'm not even sure that's everybody. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and rats. Yeah, well, this is it. We've lost. We've not only have we lost like the entire or the entire rat population of Deptford at the, end of the first book, but then also the entire rat population of London <laughs> at the end of. Yeah, I'm worried. Um, I'm worried about the biodiversity loss. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mention uh, the. Um, the squirrels of um, the squirrels of Gre- of Greenwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the oh, yeah. yeah, loads of those, loads of the squirrels fell. Well, I, yeah. I I I will note that the squirrels uh, do go on to have some ascendancy um, over uh, oh. our our mice oh. friends. So um, obviously, Robin Jarvis couldn't leave things on a wholly positive note. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't really be in keeping and so um, while the Deptford Mice Almanac um, mostly kind of recounts um, the books of the Deptford Mice and the uh, Alchemist's Cat um, with you know little tidbits and sketches from his notebook etc uh, it does actually uh, continue um, the events at the end mm. of uh, the Deptford Mice, and uh, I'm afraid they're not wholly 
wholly positive for Audrey. Mm. So, yeah, uh, Audrey obviously has uh, become the star wife, uh, and the Depth and Mice Almanac is sort of presented by, um, or from the sketchbook journals of Gervais Brightkin, uh, who actually does look a bit like Ricky Gervais, uh, interestingly. in, in, in the illustrations um, who's a red squirrel and is none too happy really about the fact that a mouse rather than a squirrel has become the star wife and he's not alone in this you know this is not wholly approved of by the squirrel community um, so the end of the year December 30th um, and 31st end with these entries <clears throat> a day of revolt Supported by a host of my grey cousins, led, I might say, by Fitz Montaquai, barged into the Starwife's chamber and tore the silver acorn from about her neck. Then the usurping mouse, as she was called, was driven away, pelted with empty acorn shells and shot at with arrows. Oh, the outrage, the defaming insult! Then did the strange Morella ascend to the living throne, and the amulet was put about her throat. A black squirrel once more holds the highest office, and now I know why she appears familiar, and why the true Starwife delayed any action against her and her scheming father. In her face, Morella is very like the young Alison Sedge. Surely there is some devilment here. What is to become of us all now? And then on the 31st, on this last day of the year and my final entry in this almanac, I must try to look to the future with hope. It is said that the passing year represents an old friend who is giving way to the new infant of tomorrow. How appropriate that belief is now with the star wife gone. What sinister darkness lies ahead for us all. Audrey Scuttle was placed upon the living throne by the Green himself. A madness has consumed the folk of Greenwich, and I fear for what will undoubtedly befall them. A dismal, unpleasant place has this become, and I shall not spend an eve here. Farewell now. Offer is repeat, uh, repeated that dire perils and uneasy times unite old enemies. I am now going to prove the truth of it, for I am away to the Cuddy Sark to patch up my quarrels and cruise this darksome night with Thomas Triton. May the reader of this almanac fare better than I in the days to come. Mm. No. Oh dear. So, oh dear. Uh, so Alison Sedge turns into a black squirrel. So, and, uh, yeah, oh, Alison oh Sedge, God. yeah, well, possesses, I think, a black squirrel. Yeah. And uh, ascends the throne and usurps poor Audrey. Wow. Gosh. So. Oh, I didn't see that coming. No. Wow, I, did, I, I didn't even think Alison. Uh, I can't believe they managed to get more. <laughs> More judgmental about Alison Sedge. <laughs> <laughs> we get it, Robin. You're a bit, you don't like a fab. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry. I mean, you know, hopefully. What an epilogue. My old, my old pal Audrey's okay. I mean, she's driven off by acorns and arrows but yeah. uh, I, I, I rather suspect she goes on to become a kind of Madame Akakuyu figure yeah hmm 
So, wow. Wow. on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> um, Should we have the credits? Yeah, thank you everyone for uh, accompanying us on this uh, epic journey through the Deptford Mice. And thank you very much, Ava. Yeah, thank for... you. Thank you, Ava. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for uh, became rather more extended than we expected. Yeah, it was, um, it was quite the commitment from you. And thanks for all your reading. No, no, no. I'm really, really happy to have done it. Um, sorry, I <laughs> And uh, and slowed us down a few times. No, no, and especially your reading of Jupiter, which was magnificent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you can find Ava at at Ava Foxfort on Twitter and Instagram and Instagram. Instagram. Um, uh, Our Twitter is at Still Scared Pod. You can email us at Still Scared Podcast at gmail dot com. it's been so long since I've done the credits, I've forgotten. Um, oh, our intro is by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro is by Joe Kelly. Our artwork's by Letty Wilson. All their details are in the show notes. A full transcript will be in the show notes as well. Um, and We wish you a happy 2020. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, if, 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 if the... If you're British and the horizons are looking rather bleak, uh, hopefully they're not, but they, they quite possibly are. Uh, you know, remember the example of the plucky Deptford mice uh, who braved through the bleakest winters. Hmm. He did. He did. Um, yeah, let's uh, call down our destiny and. Uh, hope the green mouse can save us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, see you next time spooky kids wherever we may be (laughs) and may the green keep you safe and a happy new year to you all speed to the green (laughs) bye bye Bye. I mean I hope Boris gets you know consumed by green flame shoots through a limited